from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Facing Evil from Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. We are your hosts. I am Yvette Gentile. And I'm Rasha Pecorero. So welcome back to our two-part episode on the murder of JonBenet Ramsey. So this is part two. So please make sure that you listen to last week's episode if you want to be completely caught up because there is a lot on this case. And since this is part two, we're just going to dive right back in. So here is a quick refresher, Okay. On our last episode, we talked about the Ramsey family and how their daughter, John Bonet, was active in the child beauty pageant scene. We talked about my experience in the pageant scene as well. Mm -hmm. So then we went through a detailed account of the night she was killed about how there was a strange handwritten ransom note left behind. Yeah. And we also talked about how John Benet, how she actually was killed. And then we discussed the fallout as her parents, John and Patsy, became prime suspects in her murder, despite appearing on television multiple times to plead their innocence and push the idea that the killer was actually an intruder. Lastly, we ended with the announcement of the special grand jury in 1998, where witness accounts would be heard and new evidence revealed. So today, we're going to talk about what happened at the grand jury. We're also going to discuss some of the odd discrepancies in this case. And finally, we'll explore some common theories as to what actually happened. So Trevor, start us off. What happened at the grand jury? So the grand jury officially began on September 15th of 1998, and it was initiated by Special Prosecutor Michael Kane. So according to the prosecution team, the goal of this whole grand jury was to consider indicting the Ramses, John and Patsy, for charges related to the murder. So many people have actually noted how Kane called witnesses to the stand specifically to point the finger or express blame towards the Ramsey family. Uh, one of those people was Detective Linda Art, who we've talked about a bunch. She was one of the first people on the scene who didn't do a fantastic job of cordoning off the crime scene. 
However, Detective Arndt was very publicly suspicious of the Ramses. She had some thoughts about how the Ramses behaved that was potentially condemning them or, or, or making it seem like they were hiding something. So Kane, the prosecutor, also summoned to the stand a handwriting expert who believed that Patsy forged the ransom note that was found in the house on those stairs. So on October 13th, forensic evidence, including DNA, hair, fibers, and handwriting was all heard by the grand jury. But nothing so far is really matching up or pointing in any direction. And on December 3rd of 1998, investigators even asked for more DNA samples from all of the extended Ramsey family. Right. And supposedly the goal was to rule out the family members. That's why they told them they were doing this. Like, Mm. we just want to make sure your DNA doesn't match, that sort of thing. Um, So on May 19th of 1999, John Bonet's brother Burke is officially ruled out as a suspect in his sister's murder. Mm. Uh, And then, finally, almost after 13 months of deliberation, the grand jury adjourned on October 13th of 1999. The result, though, was, as I could say, a bit anticlimactic. Because the Boulder County District Attorney, Alex Hunter, ultimately decided not to prosecute the Ramseys. He said that they did not have enough evidence to prosecute anyone at all. Like, huh? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And although the grand jury ended without any real conclusions, the investigation was still ongoing. So and so you might think it would have been kind of smart for the Ramseys to maybe keep their head down, stay out of the spotlight. But no. (laughs) In fact, on March 17th of 2000, John and Patsy actually published a book called The Death of Innocence. It was all about John Bonet's murder and how it had impacted them. Um, after its release, they were actually sued for defamation by two individuals initially named by the Boulder police as suspects. But those cases, I guess, were later dropped. Yeah. And then you have to remember that this entire time, Patsy was still battling cancer. Mm. And in the last episode, we mentioned how she was diagnosed in 1993 with ovarian cancer. And sadly, I mean, it came back on June 24th of 2006. And Patsy Ramsey, she ultimately died from, you know, the cancer. And she was laid to rest next to John Bonet in Marietta, Georgia. So can you imagine John now has his older daughter, Elizabeth, he has his younger daughter, John Bonet, and now his wife. That are gone. Yeah. It's sad. So sad. Well, later that year, something kind of weird happened. A very strange suspect came forward. On August 16th of 2006, a person from Georgia named Alexis Valerin Reich, formerly known as John Mark Carr, was arrested in Thailand. So just as a quick disclaimer, Reich is a trans woman, but at the time of this incident that all of this was going down, they were presenting as a man. So Reich was a former school teacher that had moved to Thailand, supposedly to avoid being charged with possession of child pornography in the United States. Ew. And apparently Reich had made a bizarre confession where she claimed she was, in fact, John Bonet's killer and described the strangulation in very graphic, very sexual detail. So according to NBC, she told reporters, quote, I was with Jean Benet when she died. Her death was an accident, 
end quote. And then when asked if she was innocent of the crime, Reich said no. However, it was very quickly discovered that the confession was entirely false. Uh, DNA tests ruled Reich out almost immediately. And then Reich's family actually provided very strong evidence that Reich was with them in Georgia at the time of John Bonet's murder in Colorado. So like thousands of miles away. So I don't know what happened here. I guess this was just a person who was very obsessed with the case, maybe wanted some time in the spotlight. Or mentally not well. Or Yeah, well, definitely. We, we know that has to be a, a, one of the main factors, right? Or somebody trying to take credit for a murder. Right. And describing it in graphic detail. Like, it's, it's super, super disturbing. <laughs> Finally, in July of 2008, the Ramsey family members are officially cleared as suspects in John Bonet's murder thanks to DNA testing. And I didn't know that fact until I was doing research for this podcast. Like, the DA even apologized to the entire Ramsey family. And that was all the way back in 2008, and we're in 2022 right now. Um, in that same report, police said that they had actually identified some third party's DNA on John Bonet's actual panties. And if they could actually match that DNA, that would be incredibly strong evidence. But uh, they have yet to do that. That was, again, all the way back in 2008. And sadly, that more or less concludes the official investigation of the murder of John JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's still a ton more to discuss here yeah. because, like we said, people online have absolutely broken this case down, like bit by bit by piece by mm -hmm. piece. I mean, and there are tons of theories and discrepancies that that change everything. And it's constantly, mm -hmm. right? Constantly changing. Started in those chat rooms back in the 90s, right? like Trevor exactly. said. Yeah. So buckle up, y'all. This case is about to get wild. And we will dig into all of that right after we take a quick break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So this case is full of wild discrepancies, things that absolutely do not add up. And that has led to a huge number of theories and suspects. Let's start with the discrepancies. First, that 911 call. 
the first call to the police placed by Patsy Ramsey on the morning of December 26th has become a big point of contention. The 911 operator has actually said that Patsy's tone at the time seemed rehearsed, and some believe that her panic seemed staged. Uh, There's also the weird issue with Burke and the phone call and hearing Burke in the background, because John and Patsy actually claimed that he was still asleep, so why would we be hearing Burke's voice on that enhanced 911 call? And Burke being awake points to the possibility that he was actually more involved in the situation than the family had claimed. And honestly, you know, in my opinion, I think all these years, that's what I thought had happened. I personally thought that maybe Burke had accidentally killed his sister and the parents were desperately trying to protect him. Okay, so next up is that famous ransom note. You do remember it, right? It was found on the stairs Mm -hmm. that morning. And many believe that there was something fishy there. I mean, first of all, as we know, it was written on paper from Patsy's personal stationery Mm -hmm. and with a pin from inside the Ramsey's home. And it was also filled with a ton of strange language choices that, can I just say, nobody really understands Mm -hmm. what the hell it means. Yeah. And for context, I will read a few choice excerpts that I pulled. Uh, Here's the first one. Quote, listen carefully with an exclamation mark. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We, in redacted, respect your business, but not the country that serves it. End quote. Which kind of, I guess, implies that this is some sort of like foreign terrorist group. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm okay. Sure. Maybe? Not sure. Uh, here's another one. Quote, don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around. <laughs> So don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John, end quote. So again, this is weird. It's like somehow they're implying that they have some agenda, you know, that's like about the country, but then they somehow also know John personally and they're giving that detail away. Right, right. To me, this feels fake is the only thing I'll say about Mm. this. Well, I know we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. some of the popular theories in a minute, but my main takeaway reading this note is this all feels like inconsistent and made up by somebody. It's just my thought. Right. Mm -hmm. It's also suspicious that the ransom amount that they demanded was $118,000, which is the exact amount that John had just recently received for his Christmas bonus. And since John Bonet was sadly most likely dead by the time that this ransom note was written, the whole thing makes it look like the parents were involved in the murder and they were just attempting to write, like Trevor said, a fake ransom letter to divert attention away from themselves. So, yes, I, I think that that's plausible, especially when you realize that the the ransom was never really brought up, like while right. they were searching for John Bonet. No. They don't even talk about it. And maybe no. it's because $118,000 isn't that much money to them. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but John never bothered to talk about the money, address it in any way, or even talk about these kidnappers. It was almost completely ignored and, and dropped. Yeah, I mean, my instinct, if like I had learned that you know, my child or loved one had been kidnapped by somebody and was holding them ransom would be to like communicate with them, like get them back, you know, but that like is never brought up. Instead, they're like, well, we got to search the house for Jean Benet. Right, right, right. As if they know she's in the house somehow Mm. (laughs) and that like she hasn't been kidnapped somewhere else. Right, yeah. Yeah, because when you think about that, like the first thing 
would come to mind is get the money, right? Go get the money that they asked for. Yeah. Okay. So there's so many weird things, (laughs) but I promise this is the last one, but it's not. Okay. (laughs) As we know, there was some crime scene contamination when they found John Bonet. We, of course, have no idea whether that was intentional or not. But any possible evidence we could have gotten from the house on that particular day or the body, we know it was ruined after the cops arrived. So Trevor, please remind us of what happened. Yeah, so pretty much from the moment that cops walk into the house, a number of things go wrong. One of those is that guests arrive at the Ramsey house. Uh, If you remember, Fleet White and his wife Mm -hmm. arrive shortly thereafter and police let them in. So that was a failure to cordon off the crime scene. They just were letting people kind of come Come in and and out, which is bad. So and then, of course, they allowed the family members to search the house with them. Right. So um, they assigned John and Fleet White the task of searching the house and touching things and looking for the body. And the result of this is that John finds the body, even though police couldn't find the body. He picks it up. uh, So he touches the body. He rips off the duct tape. Police never even investigate the spot where her body is found. Or if they investigate it, they don't investigate it in the way it was when she was like found dead, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it was moved. We have no idea what that crime scene actually even looked like because John messed with it and we just kind of took his word for it. So finally, they let Patsy also touch the body when she was brought into the living room. And so maybe we could have learned that Patsy's fingerprints or DNA were on John Benet's body before that point, uh, in which case that would have told us something. But because, you know, we know that she touched her when she was grieving, supposedly, um, you know, it's impossible to identify whether that DNA or fingerprints were from that point you know, occasion or from a different occasion from before when the police arrived. So mm. again, we have nothing. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. We have nothing. I mean, and I just go back to that first police officer, Linda Arndt, like she let them just, like you said, you know, go look for the body. Like that just doesn't sit right with me. So with all of that in mind in the contaminated crime scene, Let's talk about the different theories that are floating around because, as we have discussed, there are many and they're a little wild. But, of course, um, one that we do need to talk about, which, like Yvette originally thought, you know, that Patsy was the killer. So a lot of people believe that it was JonBenet's mom. According to Rolling Stone, some believe uh, that while, you know, cleaning up one of JonBenet's bedwetting incidents that Patsy got crazy angry and slammed John Benet's little head against the side of some hard blunt surface, like maybe a bathtub or the bed frame. So another thing to support the idea of Patsy killing John Benet was that she was at least partially killed by a garrote, which is like a wire used for strangulation. And that handle was determined to have been made from one of Patsy's paintbrushes. So the last thing is that the ransom note again, was written on Patsy's stationery and that initially her handwriting was not ruled out when they were comparing it with the note. So those are kind of the few big things that point to Patsy being being the killer. Yeah. I mean, and again, I go back to, I thought from the very beginning, like that was my first impression is that Patsy was this obsessed, you know, pageant, pageant mom, mom yeah. who 
you know, maybe her daughter wasn't performing the way that she wanted her to perform. I don't know. Mm. And then watching Patsy on television, like they're just, she didn't seem like she was all there. So I thought, okay, well, that's plausible. She could possibly have Mm. flipped out and done this. I don't know. What do you guys think? It seems like a a bit of a weird horror story situation, right? Like this Mm -hmm. um, obsessed mom, like taking her, you know, anger out on her daughter and, and killing her. It reminds me of a, a movie by uh, Satoshi Kon called Perfect Blue. Have you ever seen no. that? No, I have not. <laughs> so Perfect Blue is about a um, pop star musician in Japan. Mm. It's an animated film. And the whole idea is that as a pop star with a lot of visibility and like fame, uh, she has like all these like kind of like creepy stalkers. Mm. Who are, and so the movie like is making you think that, you know, there are these creepy stalker people out to like kill her or harm her in some way. And then you realize at the end, like the person who's most trying to harm her, her mom is, is her like mom. her, her not her mom, but her agent who is also like an older uh, woman. Oh, like close to, person close to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like uh, the story of Selena. Also, oh, if yes. you ever heard, of, yes. yeah. if you know about that, yeah. right? It's like right. this other woman who's older who was like very envious ended up being like the most danger to her. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It, even in pop movies like Bodyguard, right? When Whitney Houston is this famous superstar, remember? Mm-hmm. And then the killer ends up being her sister, the one who's sending the ransom notes and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. I can't imagine that it's Patsy. I mean, like, well, of course, you know, may she rest in peace as she's not alive to defend herself. But I can't see a mother harming a child. But, you know, sadly, we do know that it happens. But mm. Well, there are more theories. So, <laughs> yeah, hold yeah, on. Yeah, let's you hear more. On. Sorry. Hold, okay. <laughs> There's this theory. So the dad, John Ramsey, was responsible. So this is the other theory. Right. And this is because, as we said earlier, he was the one who found the body before the investigators did. Mm -hmm. And the thing about this is nobody saw him find the body. He just said that he found her and he brought her upstairs. And like you said earlier, right, Trevor, he took the duct tape off of her mouth as well. So all that evidence is gone because he's already touched it, right? Mm -hmm. So the theory is maybe he already knew where John Bonet was and the whole discovery was just an act. Very possible. I mean, the police officer wasn't able to find them. They spent hours searching and never found her. So the fact that he, he, John, was able to find her so quickly is certainly suspicious. Mm. Yeah. Again, devil's advocate, it was a 15-room house and really large, too. So maybe he just got lucky. I don't know. I don't know if you get lucky in your own house, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was one other piece of, I guess you can call it evidence, that pointed to John. Really, this is just a theory that people have talked about online. So if you remember, John Bonet was found with uh, vaginal ligatures. Mm, yeah. So many people put forth this idea that John was you know, somehow sexually abusing John Bonet, mm-hmm. his daughter, mm-hmm. and that that's where that came from. And that like, maybe this was a night where he was like creeping into his daughter's room to do this mm. and something went wrong and he killed her. Yeah, It's a theory online. Right. That one I'm skeptical of mm-hmm. um, and certainly don't want to ever accuse anyone of that without any proof. And that's the thing. There yeah. was no real proof of this. Just theories. Uh, yeah. The family vehemently denied it. Um, and they even said publicly, quote, there is no history of sexual mm-hmm. assault. 
a person doesn't just go throughout their lives as a normal human being and then one night turn into a monster, slaughter their daughter, go to bed, get up, and act normal from there on. That doesn't happen, end quote. And I mean, I don't know. If, if that actually did happen, that's horrible. But it sounds really weird to me. Um, I mean, I think there's some truth to that quote, right? Like, there's really no history of this, and there's nothing else to back it up. Yeah, um, yeah. normally so. abusers have a pattern and a history and a, yeah. yeah, it doesn't just come out of nowhere and then go away again. Yeah, and I, he was, for some reason, for me, he was not at the top of my list. Oh, yeah. And he's very active today in talking about John Bonet. Like he goes to Crime Con. He, right. I believe yeah. he's written, you know, other books and he's, he just seems so authentic and so real and so devastated by everything that's happened to his family. And sadly, no matter what happens, people are always going to think that possibly that he or Patsy did it. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, I I love Elizabeth Vargas and there's a special that she did and it's called Hunting John Bonet's Killer and there's many things that they talk about in this but one of the things that was that stood out to me is John Ramsey said that if they did find the killer right all these years later they found the DNA of who killed John Bonet still 20% of society would still put the blame on the Ramsey family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So another huge theory out there is that her brother Burke somehow actually did the killing. And that's, you know, what I thought for a long time. It, it felt like the parents were covering up something and maybe they were trying to protect their son. You know, investigators discovered what they called a perfectly rectangular defect in John Bonet's head. They suspected that it came from a blow from a big flashlight, which can actually be seen in a photo um, that was on the kitchen counter in the crime scene photos. So supposedly the flashlight fit the eight and a half inch gash in her skull to perfection, but no evidence of either John Bonet or Burke were actually found on the flashlight. Um, so, yeah, there was also something else that pointed to Burke. Um, if you remember, John Bonet also had a couple of injuries on her back mm. that looked like maybe cuts or, or lacerations. Yeah, yeah. So, investigators initially thought they were from like a stun gun, like some sort of home intruder or something, or, or, or somebody like hit her with a stun gun. Uh, but they later discovered that they the marks were consistent with the edges of one of Burke's toy train tracks. So, police thought Burke used them to like nudge or poke his sister's unconscious body for a response, like after some incident had happened. Mm, yeah. The the question of whether or not Burke did it, to me, is the only big plausible one out of the three of mm -hmm. the parents. I don't want to, like, make any uh, false accusations. But if we're just purely looking at the facts, I think, like you said, the parents seem to be lying for a reason to cover up something going on this night. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know what, but... It feels like if they were trying to get themselves out of the situation, there are things they would have done differently. Uh, it very much felt like they were covering up for somebody else. And the only other person there was Burke. And remember, like Burke was hurt in the background of that 911 call. So he was clearly awake and involved in some capacity that they are not telling us about. So it feels like they are lying for Burke many times. Right. So, okay, there's one more theory that we need to talk about. And this is really the one that's most prominent today. But we have to take another break, so we'll talk about that theory when we come back. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay, so the last big theory is the intruder theory. So CBS would report that there were 38 registered sex offenders in a two-mile radius of the Ramsey's home, and that there were over 100 burglaries in their neighborhood in the months before the murder. So this is another theory. You have 38 sex offenders? That's a huge number. And especially in, you know, this is a money area. Yeah, and this is the uh, theory that was... Um, being pushed by the Ramsey parents themselves, like on TV, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, we live in a dangerous area and some wacko did this to our daughter. And this is now essentially where the investigation stands because it's been ongoing. So the investigation currently believes that uh, it was, in fact, two intruders. They think this because there were actually two distinct boot prints in the room where John Bonet was found, the wine cellar that they later discovered. Mm. There was also a report of a van that was at some point squatting outside the Ramsey house. They uh, had two accounts of this. One was the night before she was murdered and and then also the day after. So multiple times they're seeing this van, which makes people think there's somebody stalking John Bonet. Mm. I think there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of evidence to back this up, frankly. I mean, this is kind of what we've been alluding to this whole episode or two, two episodes, which is that, you know, Jean Benet had a very public profile. Yep. And, you know, there are a lot of creepers out there, like whoever the creepy dude was uh, on the float that night, you know, mm-hmm. the night before or a couple nights before she went missing. I mean, for me, like, again, I started with Patsy, then I thought it was Burke. But what seems the most plausible for me is an intruder, but an intruder that knew their comings and goings. Yes. Like I feel like Mm. somebody was watching them and got into the house and, and did this. Yeah. I mean, if you remember too, that actually makes sense because one of the first suspects they looked at, and I mentioned this on part one was, Bill McReynolds, who was the guy who played Santa Claus right, right. that night at the holiday party. Aren't they always the creepers, the ones that play Santa Claus? <laughs> or clowns. Don't say that about Santa, Rasha. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Santa impersonators. Nothing personal, but you're kind of creepy. I've always thought Santas were creepy. I'm sorry to anybody. Yeah. Anyhow, um, he would actually fit that profile really well, right? Because yeah. he knew them. He was like a neighbor, so he knew their comings and goings. 
Uh, however, he was officially dismissed as a suspect eventually. So right, right. It could have been like you know, John Bonet was in the pageant scene. She was, you know, on this float. It could have been another pageant father who was obsessed with young girls. I mean, I just really think that it was somebody other than one of the family members. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it was just, I mean, a couple days earlier that she had won Little Miss Christmas pageant in Denver. Yeah. Uh, so like there was a lot of like eyes on her around that time. I think one thing that backs up this idea too is the fact that she was clearly sexually assaulted mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. So in this theory, it would mean that one of these creepy dudes had desires to sexually harm this child. Uh, and so that would make sense of the trauma they found on her body. Yeah. Yeah. It's whoever did it was clearly a pedophile. Absolutely. And I just have to say, you know, while we're talking about, you know, the whole pageantry, like a lot of people have really criticized, you know, Patsy for pushing John Bonet into it. And, you know, there's definitely something about that, right? Because trying to make your child, you know, compete like in an industry that she was once in, right? By dressing her up and doing the heavy makeup and the dresses, like she's trying to live vicariously through her daughter, right? But at the same time, like we have to remember she's five years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's some some danger to like making your child uh, an object of sex appeal yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it kind of, makes her a target in a really messed up way. Um, And I hate to say it that way, but, you know, this just gets, I think, into a philosophical conversation about whether or not you believe in child beauty pageants should be a thing or or not, like if they are dangerous. And I think that's probably where a lot of that criticism of Patsy comes from. Not saying she did it herself, but that indirectly she like set John Bonet up to be stalked and eventually killed, right? Yeah. So I do want to point something out, right? So once again, the media was absolutely relentless in this case and very similar to the cases of Lacey Peterson and Matthew Shepard. This case was on every TV station, every magazine. It was in the news cycle for literal years and people were obsessed. And I was one of them. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really hard time reading the details, but I wanted to and I want to know who killed John Benet Ramsey. But like it just it makes me sad, like especially like having a voice and we're all having this discussion, right? It's like we could be having this discussion at Yvette's, you know, house in San Francisco and no one else would be hearing it, but the world is hearing it. So whether that's good or bad, it definitely can negatively impact the Ramsey family. And, you know, we're not the only ones talking about the John Benet murder case. And we have to think about it, right? The Ramseys were completely thrown into the spotlight when their little girl was murdered. And I can only imagine what they went through, what Burke went through. And John and Patsy, like everyone in the Ramsey family. And Burke, you know, has since led a very private life with the exception of the fact that he was actually interviewed by Yvette, our friend, Dr. Phil. Yep, Dr. Phil. Yep, we love our Dr. Phil. So let's listen to um, a clip of Burke being interviewed by Dr. Phil now. 
I remember the casket was small and her eyes were closed. I think one of her eyes was a little bit like droopy or something. I thought that was weird. How did you feel seeing her? A lot of sadness. I don't think I really fully grasped. Like after this, I won't see her again. So when you listen to Burke, there's clearly a lot of pain there because at nine years old, he went through horrific trauma. And of course, I know that people want to know the truth, but I can only imagine that this ruined Burke's life. And I truly, truly, truly believe that we should do our best to give him and the entire Ramsey family, you know, some some peace. Agreed. Yeah, I think, you know, whatever the truth is, you know, Burke went through something horrible. Yeah. You know, as far as the facts tell us, you know, both he and his parents are not responsible for this murder. Mm -hmm. So until proven otherwise, like, people need to stop harassing Burke. Yeah. People need to stop accusing him of things and unless there's something... Concrete. Yeah, exactly. You know, and either way, he was just a kid. He was just yeah. a kid. Like, even if something did happen, it wouldn't have been intentional. Yeah. So. Right. I just hope he's had the opportunity to go through like PTSD and trauma therapy and it can really help. <laughs> we all know that, you know, generational trauma is a real thing. Mm. So, and you can imagine him being nine years old and having to deal with this his whole life, right? So some people, you know, when they saw that clip of him on Dr. Phil, you know, everybody is trying to analyze like, okay, well, is he... Did he do it? Is he right in the head? Is it this? Is it that? But you have to remember whether he's speaking the way that you want him to speak or making the eye movements like that doesn't none of that matters. Like, you know, like you said, there's no concrete evidence. Yeah. But what, what we do have to remember, we have to have some compassion for what the family has gone through, you know? Mm hmm. Well, we're near the end of the show today, and that means it's time for our Imua, our final message of hope and healing. We may never find out what happened to John Benet or who killed her, so it's impossible to find an Imua in a case like this. Almost impossible. Almost impossible, where a young girl was taken before she could even blossom into the woman she was meant to be. But we always have to find the light in the darkness, and we will do that here. Our imua today is about the innocence of the keiki, and keiki in Hawaiian means child. So our imua is dedicated to the innocence of children. Yes, and especially to the children like John Bonet who were robbed of their innocence. And I'll just leave you with this thought. Let children be children. Onward and upward. Imua. Imua. That's our show for today. If you want to reach out and share a thought about today's discussion, please find us on social media at Facing Evil Pod or email us at Facing Evil Pod at Tenderfoot.tv. Until next time, aloha.
Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Claudia D'Africo. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.